This is Rob Temple for Boxing Social in association with Betfred. Delighted, as always, to be joined by Shane McGuigan. We're here at the wonderful University of Kent, the new location for McGuigan's Gym. Well, it's not new, but... September. September, but for people who maybe haven't watched, shame on them. This is where we are now. How are you, Shane? Happy New Year. Yeah, good, thanks, Rob, and Happy New Year to you and uh, everyone at Boxing Social. Ryan, top lad. Um, yeah, I'm all right, mate. I'm decent. Good, and also we'll add to that uh, Andy Perlwell and yeah, Andy, uh, well. yeah, yeah, Andy yeah. and Chandler. Yeah. It's crossing my mind, I was thinking, oh, Andy, that's it. Happy New Year, Andy. So, Shane, how was your break? Um, every time I speak to you, you're always very, very busy, um, which we'll come on to in later parts of this interview. Did you manage to get a little bit of downtime over Christmas? Yep, um, I did. I, got, I went to, to Thailand, did some island hopping with uh, my girlfriend, Josephine. Um, it was a busy year last year. Lots of lots of big fights, lots of challenges, lots of lows as well. Um, personally, as well. But um, but no, I managed to get, get a little bit of a break. Um, Luke, actually, the news that Luke was boxing for Tuna came up, and we had him scheduled to box on December the nineteenth. So um, we we basically spoke to Eddie, and we we decided to not compromise our position by taking a, an, in, an intermediate fight, as it were, just to fight to, to sort of fill the gaps um, and we would start negotiations and all that sort of stuff uh, with the Fortuna fight, which is still ongoing. We've got that fight coming up. We've also got Lawrence Coley due to fight for the vacant WBO title. So we'll come on to that later on in the interview. But the reason why I'm here today, well, not the reason why I'm here today, obviously it's just to see you and your lovely fighters, of course. <laughs> um, Josh Taylor. Uh, I, like many other people, were shocked to hear that he had parted company with Cyclone Promotions and also yourself as a trainer. Um, let's start there, because I'm sure that's what people have tuned in to watch. Um, yeah, tell me about that. Uh, was it as, as big of a surprise to you as it was to many others? Yeah, um, it, it, was a, it was a bit of a surprise. Well, it was, it was a huge surprise and a bit of a killer blow, really. Um, you know... Uh, Basically, um, we were in contact, myself and Jake, on the phone to, to Josh regularly. He went out to Dubai um, on a holiday, came back. He was really, really busy um, after, after the WBSS uh, final and obviously, um, you know, in, in getting the credit that he rightfully deserved for, for taking those challenges on. And, um, and yeah, I mean, it was late December um, I think so um, and I got a phone call from Jake saying that um, Josh had made contact with him and and was asking to leave so um, it was a it was a pretty it was it was a pretty big big shock um, there was you know I didn't see anything coming um, and and just yeah as soon as I sort of heard that I was like oh, my heart sort of sank um, just mainly because of the effort and time that we that I'd put in and that we had put in personally um, to Josh and, and I feel like managed him um, and trained him impeccably 16 fights unbeaten um, unified world champion ring magazine champion yeah boxed on all over the world um, with, you know, with me I took him to Vegas and he went out and trained in, in New York as well he's, you know, he's, 
El Paso. He's 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 boxed boxed all over, and I, you know it's four and a half years of of my time um, that I I I invested in him um, to to find out like that was a bit of a was a bit of a blow. Obviously, just going to try and clear a few little bits and pieces up. I do appreciate that you can't really or don't want to go into certain aspects of the whole of the whole thing so we'll try and keep it relatively uh, short and sweet uh, as possible um obviously the announcement was that he'd left cyclone which was cyclone promotions and obviously under the stewardship of your dad barry mcguigan as a manager um there was no initial announcement about your training situation with josh but obviously from what you've just said then and you know, from what we've we've learned you're not going to be training him just explain to people why you can't train him and why that situation has to be that way, so to speak? Well, everyone knows that I train fighters that aren't necessarily always um, managed by my dad. I, you know, George um, and and David and, you know, I have a, an advisory agreement with, with Luke. Uh, but, you know, with Josh, dad, dad has signed him from the start he'd made contact with him and I feel like he's done an, he's done an amazing job um, he's just done an amazing job with him um, obviously I've trained him and, and helped but you know he's matched him impeccably um, and he's yeah he's built he, he's built him up and I feel like it's it's a it's not right to be doing it to be doing it that way I, you know, I'm not I'm not going to continue to train him um, you know when he's done that to somebody so close to me, uh, you know, and, and that, that's oh, lights are off. Mood setting, isn't that nice? I'll hold it. Um, yeah, so nice dance. Um, yeah, so that that's that's basically where where my my heart lies on that one, you know. Um, it, it was it was such a great thing that we had going and, and it, 16 fights in unbeaten loads of acid tests at the right times the hard Davies fight the postal fight the super series you know um, taking in into that great tournament at that time and all these wins um, and and big big achievements I just feel like you know it's 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 not fair to be you know for that just for that person to be cut out and so so yeah I just uh, myself and Josh um, will no longer be working together when was the last time you spoke to Josh mid-December um, yeah we were, we were chatting Jake was constructing a deal with Eddie I had a few meetings um, on Luke's behalf um, and Jake was at those meetings and you know we we, had, we were in regular talks with, with JT about you know uh, a multi-fight deal with Matchroom USA and DAZN and uh, and Sky, uh, you know we were constructing something something really big on the table for him. Um, obviously, he chose to do his own thing, and and it's just as just as much as I can really say on that one. I, I, I don't. I feel a bit. I feel a bit begrudged by it all, to be honest. Um, you know, I've worked <clears throat> tirelessly. If he'd have been a year into his career, you know, fine, like no problem, um, you know. And if he'd have called me and talked to me and, and everyone and done it the right way, then that, then that would have been the, that would have been fine. Um, but four and a half years in, and 
all the achievements and everything and then to do it in that manner it was just like you know I've had a we all have as a family has had a really personal like loss um, and we've and we've had a just a horrific time of late um, and I feel like I'm just annoyed at I'm annoyed that I've invested so much time and energy in someone that just doesn't deserve it. Okay, well, I think that's probably... We'll have to leave it there because I do understand that there's, there's things that you can and can't say. From my own personal point of view, people who have watched the channel, people who have watched myself interview, not just yourself, but also Josh Taylor, um, I do hope that if there isn't now, and I'm not prying and haven't prized, um, I do hope that somewhere along the line there can be an amicable nature between you with that, as I say, is uh, my own selfish feelings. But anyway, moving on, um, 2020. Yeah. McGuigan's gym. Um, got yourself a couple of world champions in waiting. Um, <laughs> this funny old revolving door of boxing keeps on going. Let's talk about Luke Campbell first. Um, well, before we talk about Luke Campbell, let's talk about the the fragmented situation with the WBC's lightweight division. I mean, they've got two, three, four champions. They've champions in recess, interim champions, you know, super duper champions. Explain to me, if you can, um, the situation currently with the WBC lightweight title. Okay. We boxed Yvonne Mendy for a final eliminator for Mikey Garcia's title. We sat there waiting for a very long time. He went up to welterweight to to box Errol Spence. He told the WBC he might come back down, he might not come back down. That process took quite a long time. We were like, Eddie, give him a nudge, give Mauricio a nudge and stuff. And obviously we can understand and appreciate how much Mikey Garcia has done for the WBC in terms of he's three-weight world champion or four-weight world champion and he's always won their belt. So um, we can understand and appreciate that. So we gave it time and then, then there was like a... You know, there was quite a lot of people that had boxed for eliminators. So we were expecting, once Garcia sort of said, all right, I'll give my title up, become heritage champion or whatever they called him. Um, basically, they said, all right, well, Luke's got a fight. Is it Fortuna? Is it Abdulev? Is it Haney? Um, you know, and um, ultimately they they put in, which was a wild card, they put in Lomachenko because whoever from their side said, all right, well, we need, we want Loma to box for the belt. And it makes sense financially. So they obviously did something that this not normally happened. A champion of two other belts goes in as a mandatory challenger. So then that became the fight that had to be made. Um, Eddie, did a, Eddie done a fantastic job bringing it to the UK, he gave Luke the opportunity to fight for three belts, everything like that. He, un, you know, he 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 uh, lost, um, but put up a fantastic fight. Then this is where it gets complicated, <laughs> because of because they gave Lomachenko that opportunity. They said, "All right, we now you have to have you have to box the winner of Abdulev Haney, and then after that you have to box Fortuna." So um, Loma obviously doesn't want to box the winner of that yet because he's probably you know he's looking for the uh, the undisputed fight which was either Richard Comey or Lobos which you can get onto after that and then um, and then they said alright well, we'll make you franchise champion Haney boxes Abdullah won it and then here's the what he won the interim then he got elevated to world champion but then the wild card was he should have boxed Fortuna as the as the defi 
like as his first offence because Fortuna was sat there waiting because it was for the he got elevated to world champion overnight and it was for the sort of he didn't really win his title um, then he had that bit of a farcical fight on the undercard of a farcical show <laughs> with Logan Paul versus KSI and um, and then he done his shoulder and the WC said, right, well, you have to defend this within a certain amount of time. And he was like, I can't because I've got to go in for surgery. So they said, they didn't strip him. They just said, all right, well, you're, you can fight the winner of Fortuna versus X. And Eddie and everyone has done a great job to say, well, actually, wait, it's, um, you know, because Fortuna's got Al Heyman, a powerful man behind him. He's got Samson Leokovic as well as his managers, two big, powerful people. And um, they were putting the, the pressure on the WC. And um, yeah, they just they got us the opportunity because rightfully so he should have boxed somebody. You never get an easy fight for a world title, but you know he, he sat patiently for a long period of time to 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 box for it, and then they sort of chucked him in with Lomachenko. Um, and and this is a this is a predicament that we're in. So we are fighting for the vacant world title against Javier Fortuna, with the first defence being against Devon Haney. Um, if he's ready in time. If not, we can have a fight, but then we will have to box him at some stage if he stays at 135 pounds. Long story. <laughs> Long story. Wouldn't quite say short. I'm going to have to go and do my dancing again now. To Usually we have Chris Billum Smith in the gym to do things like this. Um, it's but always happened. It must mean we've been in there for like... must mean that we've been in there for longer than six hours or something because it only starts happening really far into it. It has been a long day. Um, not that we're complaining, but anyway. Um, yeah, hopefully that, that was able to, to clear up a little bit of the confusion around the... Family tree for it. You should do. You could have WBC. a family tree, WBC family right, tree. Right. Well, they've got like... So you've now got the winner of Campbell Fortuna, Devin Haney, Vasil Lomachenko. Not that he's ever going to come back to lightweight, but if Mikey Garcia comes back to lightweight, he's a champion emeritus. So you've essentially yeah. got four possible champions in one governing body. Yeah. Well, Mikey Garcia was like... I think he was thinking, I'll only come back to lightweight if it if the Lomachenko fight presents itself. Now he's stayed at 147 pounds. His next one's up. I think he'll probably go to like welterweight. Um, and Lomachenko is just like, I need to get all the belts. But you have to understand that this is a business. These there's there's promoters and managers and everybody putting pressure on these mandatory challenges. And and when you have like AJ, for instance, when you have three belts, it's hard to keep every mandatory challenge you're happy because you can only box three times in a year and that's just that's just boxing so um, it's a juggling act you mentioned Tiafimo Lopez and his spectacular win over Richard Comey I know you would have had certainly half an hour on that fight at least what did you make of his performance a lot of people thought that was a pretty much a 50-50 fight going in yeah and I would have been one of them saying it because you know how good Comey is you know he's a seasoned pro um, but he just—it looked like he had a lot of hard fights. You know, he was, um He—I know he's had a lot of gym wars. He used to come down and spar uh, Frampton and stuff. And he was always—I think I've—I've I've had him spar Taylor as well. He's—he's just—you um, know—he's had a lot of a lot of hard fights, Tommy. But someone that you've always got to, got to be a hundred percent for. But he got hit with a fantastic shot and. Um, I don't know. It just looked like it just looked like his his punch resistance has gone. Um, but Lopez is 21. He's really fresh, hard puncher, big for the weight, and yeah, really. Look, he rose to the occasion and and uh, and done a fantastic job. 
Um, but do I think him versus Lomachenko is the right decision right now? If I was looking after Lopez, I'd say no. Um, it's not like he's a Luke Campbell who's had endless acid tests against Linares and all these sort of people, you know, and he's 31. Luke had to take the opportunity against Lomachenko, whereas this guy is 21 years of age, burst onto the scene. Um, and I think, you know, I think they should they should potentially protect him, but top rankers are obviously forcing that fight on him because they're, they're heavily invested in, in Lomachenko and getting him something that he's asked for, which is the undisputed fight. And also there's rumours that Lopez is really, really struggling that weight and this is going to be his last fight at, at £135. So, um, so yeah, I mean... The landscape of, of the lightweights is, is really there. I mean, you've got Ryan Garcia, who's a really strong prospect coming out of nowhere as well. So, you know, he's a bit of an Instagram star, but he can also really whack, and he's a talented kid. Um, so Luke, by winning this fight, he's got some big names. You know, he's got, he's got some big names, and there's also potential for Luke to move up to 140 pounds at, at a time when it suits us. You mentioned Jorge Linares, obviously box Luke Campbell. He's now back with Ismael Salas, back down 135 pounds, yeah. all being well, and, and Campbell gets that WBC title. Could we expect to see that as a potential rematch or Yeah, definitely. And it, it's actually really good to see him back with Salas because I think they worked really well together. Um, and it'd be a great fight for us. I'd love that. You know, if Haney's not ready, I'd, lo I'd love to be able to win the world title with Luke um, against Fortuna and then take the Nanares fight back here in Hull or something late summer. It's something I've spoken to Eddie about and, uh, and also Luke. So, um, so yeah, there's, some, there's just some huge fights out there on the horizon. And, like, it would be nice for Luke to clean his slate against someone like Nanares because we, we've beaten Minde and it'd be really nice to be able to get the nod over Linares. But... You know him. Him in his own right, he's still seriously live. Obviously, he stepped up to 140. You know, it was a it was a leap too far considering he started at featherweight. Um, but you know, him at lightweight still a dangerous fight, and um, it's a very credible defense of a world title if we, if we get if we get the win. Also, has quite the profile over here. Um, having yeah. fought Crawler and and Kevin Mitchell, etc. Um, one name at lightweight they haven't mentioned. Um, who we saw in action, I think on the 28th of December, Javante Davis moved up from super featherweight against Yuri Orkis Gamboa. Um, went a little bit longer than a few people were expecting. What did you make of his performance? Well, I thought he started fast. He caught him with that sort of, that looping left hook um, as he stepped around him. It was a great shot. He caught him in the second round. And then, I don't know, he just, he just was looking for the, the eye-catching shots all the time and wasn't, you know, and, and, and wasn't finishing. Obviously, he got the job done, but... You know, Gamboa in his day was a phenomenal fighter, but you know I, I haven't seen much of him since the Terence Crawford fight was, which was quite a long time ago. You know, um, and I would have expected him being at 38 years of age to have to have got stopped quite a lot quicker. But um, but you can't take, you know you can't you can't make no mistakes. He, that that kid can fight. That Javante Davis is a talented, talented boy. Um, I don't know by him stepping up much more than 135 pounds will he be as effective um, but then again it's it's something that's that's huge you know what I mean there's he's he's got he's got a huge profile he's got Mayweather behind him he's he's a he's a massive he's a massive money maker and a big draw for Al Heyman so um, yeah there's always potential fights down there like against um, against Javante Davis but uh you know, for now we'll just go and do our own thing. Obviously, Fortuna's looking to win it. 
because that's a perfect fight for those two to make. But uh, yeah, PBC to make a, a big uh, unification. Well, because he's the regular champion, isn't he? Um, but no, he's a, he's a dangerous, dangerous fight, and I I believe he's he's one of the hardest fights out there for for anyone in the lightweight division. So big, big, uh, big names in the in the 135. Just final one on Luke Campbell. When can we expect to to hear an announcement? When what kind of date are you looking towards? Is it between one or two? When can we expect to hear something? Well, we're looking at um, potentially late March for a UK fight, or we're looking at early to middle of April um, for a US fight. It's it's between two. Eddie's working with Samson Leokovic and, and um, Ludi Kubis uh, from our, our Heyman's team. So we're, I'm in regular contact with, you know, they're doing their best. And um, if they can't come to an agreement, it will go to purse bids. If it goes to purse bids, then it will probably look like it's in, um, I'll hold it. It'll probably look like it's in, um, in the US if that goes to purse bids but yeah hopefully we can uh, we can come to an agreement sometime soon and it works out for everyone from one potential world champion to another one Lawrence Coley I've just spoken to Lawrence Coley it seems like not that long ago he was picking up the British title it really has been a, a rapid ascent up the, the professional ladder um, just waiting again on an announcement for him to potentially box um, Christoph Glavatsky for the vacant WBO cruiserweight title when can we expect to hear something on that once again, in the next couple of days, you know, there's there's two potential dates um, for Lawrence as well, and uh, for uh, Lawaki. Um, but yeah, I think that will probably be late March. There's um, the potential of boxing on the undercard. I think it's of Golovkin in um, in America in Chicago. So um, obviously there'll be a big Polish crowd out there. So it will kind of will sort of be the away fighter, but. It's nice. It'll be. It could be a good challenge. You know, the the thing about Lawrence is he's not afraid of taking any any challenges, and um, and it would be nice as a as a British fighter to go out and win a world title in America and then t- you know and then take it home. So, um, and I think he'll get a little bit more credit from that, in the sense like you know people are they're used to seeing Lawrence and or well, they give him so much stick about he's holding and and everything, but he keeps he keeps winning. Um, you know, you see it gets that Yais and Garbu. I mean, Dominic Ingle and all the guys in, in, in Sheffield were raving about him. And he's a good fighter. He's a really, really good fighter. And, um, you know, you see what, see what Lawrence, obviously it was messy and stuff, but he pulled out the, out the finish. And I do believe he's getting better. Um, and I, I believe that, you know, if it had been Lawrence Coley versus the, the Lawrence Coley that boxed Matt Yaskins when he was in against Ngarbu, he'd have been in potentially big trouble because, you know, Ngarbu was better on the inside and, and stronger and stuff. So, you know, there's, there's, he's working his way up and he's and he's taking this opportunity. It's same sort of situation. It was in the fi- it was a semi-finals of the WBSS Raiders. Um, that fight was bad. <laughs> it was like you know there was an elbow in there. There was a couple of low blows from uh, Glaki, and then there was there was um, a few. I think there was a punch after the bell or something. And there was about thirty seconds of punching no, after. No, but, but initially there was a punch after the bell from Gawaki, and then and then Brady sort of had enough, and then he elbowed him, and then the ref couldn't get control, <laughs> and then it, the bell went, and everyone was going mad. There was that twenty to thirty seconds of punching after the bell that just completely done him, and then it got ruled a no contest, and here we are, we've sort of fallen into the position again. So it's it's nice. It's nice to to have these these big challenges ahead. Obviously, they're not. 
you know, huge, massive fights, but they are for world title fights. You know, Fortuna's not a big name, and Wack's not not a massive name, but he has boxed Huck and uh, Usyk, and he's um, he's also boxed Bradus as well. So he's he's been in there with top guys, and I feel like if Lawrence can do a you know do a number on him, then and it's gonna it's gonna send shockwaves through the cruiserweight division. And then there's that uh, Arsene Gulamarian, who's a good fighter, who's a WBA champion, and and then you've got the winner of. Bradis versus Dorcas, so there's some big fights out there, but it's never been a division that people are going crazy about. Um, for us, it's you know we, we need to do our thing in the cruiserweight division and then potentially you know, move up and just like Usyk, you'll be able to fast track and you'll be able to skip a couple of levels if you're a, if you're a cruiserweight world champion. You get the opportunities. Usyk's just had one fight as, as a heavyweight. Yeah, he might he might go straight in there to box Anthony Joshua um, and. You know, if he was a heavyweight, he'd have been like Dylan White, taking all the acid t- tests to get up the ladder, you know, um, and it's a much slower process. So that's that's the plan. And of course, if he wins the WBO, the WBO have the rule where if you move up in weight, you become automatic mandatory, which is what yeah. we saw with Alexander Usyk. Um, it seems to me like while a kind of a last-minute opportunity or a, a, quite an unusual opportunity with, with the way that the tournament, the World Boxing Super Series, is laid out and with that belt becoming vacant, you seem quite fortunate in a sense that you've got a fighter like Lawrence who has really sought out those tests early on in his career and been able to slot straight in. That must be a, a huge relief and benefit to you at this point. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, it's, it's, But then it, it comes down to the fighter and whether they're willing to take the challenges and, um, you know, but... Lawrence came to me at a time that, you know, he was already quite established. But from a technical standpoint, there was still so much that can be developed from him. You know, so um, I really don't feel like he's he's reached his potential anywhere near he has. And I think if he's able to win world titles with without reaching his potential, then you know, there's there's some huge um, growth to him. You know what I mean? As a as a potential heavyweight in the future as well. So. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a real pleasure to be able to work with him. And obviously the fact that this opportunity has come up, it's, I'm having this ongoing joke between Luke and because <laughs> it's, who, it's whoever gets their date first, you know what I mean? Um, and it's like, who's going to be the, the next world champion in the gym? Because um, I've had, obviously, I've had uh, three world champions. I've had two unified world champions um, with Carl and, and uh, Taylor. And so, you know, George was a world champion as well. So it's... It's interesting to see who's going to be number four and then who's going to be number five. Because we are going to win both. They're both going to win. <laughs> How does that affect your role as trainer? You've got two guys who are pretty much fighting within a well, best-case scenario, really, two or three weeks of each other. How are you going to balance that? How are you going to manage that? Yep. Um, well, it's going to be a really busy march. I've got a, a new sign-in that we will, you know, that we will talk about um, separately. Um, but yeah, I've I've I'll have one in early March, and then I'll have CBS. I think it's going to look like the potentially around the 14th of March yeah, in a in a in a fight, and then end of March either Lawrence or or Luke, and then there's um, or maybe both. But I don't think the two of them will be on on the same card. So, and then there's one in 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 April. So. Um, it's good because they all get a chance to challenge, you know, push each other and challenge each other in the circuits and stuff like that. And it's so boring when one of them are in camp by themselves. It's just 
it's it's tiresome for them and also for myself. It's like there's no there's no banter that you can't really joke with the lads and stuff. But um, the fact that they're all in, they're all bouncing off each other, is is a real good thing. You mentioned Chris Billum Smith. A nice little segue from cruiserweight to cruiserweight. Um, the rumor, or there's a, a lot of talk about him potentially taking a show down to Bournemouth in the middle of March. Um, what can you tell me about that? Yeah, I mean, um, we've been, uh, and again, we've been in chats with, with Eddie um, about taking a next-gen show down to Bournemouth. Um, it's not done yet, but, you know, it's looking likely. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really nice. It's really, it's really good. It's, uh, we've got to find the right opponent for him. There's been Luke Watkins mentioned. There's been a few other guys mentioned. Um, Dion Juma's just boxed Sam Hyde as well, and apparently in a fantastic fight. So you know, those those two are both in and around the mix. You've got Mikel Lowell, who's early on in his career, but he's also you know been down sparring lots. And you've got React Ports done his hand and stuff like that. So I think Tommy McCarthy's ready to he's he's mandatory to fight for the W uh, for the EBU. Um, so it's a really good division at the moment domestically. Um, Lawrence is obviously stepping out of that domestic scene to go to World Honours, but you know, CBS is, is you know, he, he learned from his, his close split decision loss to, uh, to React Poor. You know, he, he didn't, didn't let it deter him, he, and he got straight back in there. And I've got to say a massive thank you to Eddie for giving us the opportunity to fight Craig Glover um, because he didn't have to do that. And he's since then gone on and, and uh, given us the opportunity to take a show down to Bournemouth. So, um, yeah, it's it's really nice to 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 have somebody that's um, that's excited about CBS as well because you know, really from a guy that had only forty five amateur fights went on trials to the GB didn't make it used to come down and spar George Groves and he'd always be the most reliable person I could just go like oh, all right we're, we're out of sparring we we can't get him right let's just ring Chris and he'd just be there, oh, I'll be there tomorrow I'll take a day off work and. Um, and yeah, just that enthusiasm just has just shown in in his character, and then obviously, you know, we've we've uh, we linked up, and he's just he's he's ten and he's ten and one with uh, with nine knockouts and and one controversial loss, really. So it's 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 nice, and we would really like to get that that, um, that uh, avenge that defeat. His last fight against Craig Lovell, you just mentioned it there. After the React poor loss, which is a very close fight, could have gone either way. Um, seemingly, the the noises coming from Chris and yourself was that he'll learn from that fight. He'll learn from that fight. It's one thing saying it; it's another thing putting it into practice. How impressed were you with his performance against Craig Glover on the back of that? Yeah, really impressed. It just shows that he, um, you know, he he learned from. Well, he didn't. He, it wasn't wasn't a bad loss or anything. It was just okay. He, he hadn't had the experience. React Ball had had. Um, yeah, he had a couple of acid tests against Sam Hyde and Tommy McCarthy, and um, you know he'd sort of had those main stage sort of fights. And Chris just really hadn't. He boxed Dupree um, in the York Hall show, and suddenly he's he's in he's in there. You know what I mean? And and someone like Chris is he's a, he's a late bloomer, um, and I really believe that he's someone that once you show him it. He'll he'll keep repeating it and keep repeating it, and he gets better. And I think yeah, you, you're you're going to see a much more seasoned fight, the more experience he, he has, because he really is like limited. 
inexperienced compared to compared to these other guys. So, um, you know, I think it, so much for Chris, it's confidence, you know, and building off fights and getting momentum, and he's getting that now. Um, and you know, there's there's some there's some really good some really good challenges out there for him. And I really feel like even on the world scene, there's the landscapes that the cruiserweights constantly changing. Um, and it's becoming a really exciting division, so there's huge opportunities, you know, in the near future. Is the React Pool fight, the React Pool rematch, should I say, is that the target for this year, or is it kind of a, if it happens, yeah. it happens? Yeah, definitely. I'd like I'd like him to to box um, against a, a, a a decent opponent in Bournemouth. Maybe get the um, maybe get Dion Juma, for instance, or someone like that in like late summer and then potentially do a uh, build it up you know what I mean like Sky I know Sky need headline acts they need, they need they've got at the moment they've got a lot of pay-per-view fighters and then they've got a lot of prospects coming through but they don't have sort of card for obviously, obviously the likes of someone like Boatsy that's going to become like a, a big star and those are the guys that they, they need to be pushing forward but someone like Chris versus React Pause are that could be a, a headline, you know, a headline good, good show. Um, and it was a cracking fight, the first one, and I believe it will become an even better fight with both of them gaining more experience. So yeah, it's uh, it's one that we we can build up. So um, it's definitely not off the cards at all. I, I, we both, me and Chris, really want that fight, and I'm sure Reactor's team does too. Okay, well, before I let you go, because it has been an exceptionally long day here at the lovely University of Kent, uh, just pick your brain on a few things. I haven't, well, I've spoken to you, I haven't interviewed you since uh, Anthony Joshua reclaimed the Unified Heavyweight Championships of the World with his decision win over Andy Ruiz. Impressed with his performance? Yep, I saw it delayed. I didn't see it live. Um, I was in, in Thailand, but I couldn't actually get a bloody uh, streaming system. I was going around all the bars to try and find someone to... Uh, to put it on on the on the box, but now I was I was really impressed by him. Obviously, I was one of the people that said, "Put a gun to my head, uh, maybe Ruiz beats him again," um, and hold my hands up and say I was completely wrong. Um, it shows the mark of the man to be able to make all that money that he's made, and then go back to the drawing board. He brought on Angel Fernandez as a as a pad man to work in conjunction with um, Rob McCracken, and they did a fantastic job. You know, he did he he, he was mentally strong, um, and he showed no sign of, of a knockout loss going into that fight. You know, he he, he went out there box to orders, and uh, Ruiz was the one that was underprepared. So um, it was quite the opposite. You know, it was quite the opposite of what I what. I had a feeling because it's really hard to it's really hard to motivate yourself when you've achieved so much and you've made so much money. Um, but he's obviously not, you know, it's, he's not defined by that. He wants to to, to build his legacy, and uh, and I think he's still got so much developing to do as a as a fighter. He's, he's such a phenomenal athlete, um, fast hands, big you know, big um, six foot six frame, and just yeah, just quick. So I think he's. Yeah, he's still got a lot of skills to be to be um, to be developed, um, and I still think you know he's he's got some some room for growing in terms of uh, his ability. Ask me another question through myself. <coughs> okay. Um, 
Yeah, well, you mentioned um, you know it's difficult to motivate yourself. You made so much money when you've achieved what you've achieved in the sport. Do you think that's what we saw with Andy Ruiz in this fight? Yeah, I really do. I feel like the guy is he's a you know he's seen that straight away on his Instagram. He's going around Rolls Royces, buying stuff, partying, and he's the first person to admit it. And then when he came in so heavy, it was like, oh, god damn it! Like you know, you just someone like that needs to be. It needs to be it needs to be light and quick, you know, because the best thing that Andy Ruiz had was his speed, his hand speed, um, and he wasn't a one-shot concussive puncher. But the fact that he just he's got a good chin, he lets his hands go when people throw punches with him. He punches like he punches with them. Um, it just makes him so dangerous. But it, it's it's literally just taking his, away his reaction speed and everything, and he just he just took he took it for granted that he. He might have thought it was going to be an easy fight. And maybe he felt so comfortable in the first one. But really, if you watch it back, he started much quicker in the first one. Hit AJ with a couple of shots early on that kind of got AJ's respect. AJ was, you could see he was in two minds what he wanted to do in the fight in the first one. Caught him with a fantastic shot, rushed in, got nailed. And then Andy Ruiz. From then on, it was an easy fight for, for Ruiz. So... You're always going to remember the the later stages in the fight as a fight. Oh, that was so easy! I could see everything coming, and then, you know, it, maybe he just took his eye. Well, you could see clearly he took his eye massively off the ball. Um, but I still think he's a dangerous fight. I'd love to see him in with Dylan White. I think those those are two proper throwbacks. They both got fantastic left hooks. They both can fight up close. Something that we don't see a lot of heavyweights people being able to fight in close. It's, I'd, I'd really, I'd really enjoy that fight. Um, and he ha he holds so much value because he is the man that beat the man that beat the man. Is Anthony Joshua the man again? Considering all all everything that happened in that first fight, and kind of the manner of his performance in the second fight, does he now go back to if, well, if you hadn't known in the first place, number one in the division? Stars make fights. The most... Okay. Tyson Fury made it look easy against Klitschko. He won against Deontay Wilder. He didn't get the nod, but he won. Um, but I just feel like Tyson Fury's great against guys that, lo that, that load up with big shots, you know. Um, but when people are combination punchers, and, and sort of are able to work in close and just let their hands go in threes and fours, and that's something that AJ is really good at. I think AJ will beat him. But I think AJ will struggle. Well, not, yeah, it's, a, it's a much more dangerous fight against Wilder. Um, and I think Fury beats Wilder in the return. Just, it's just boxing. So, um, but then you, you know. But you just don't know until you see it, and that's just my shite opinion. <laughs> Humble as ever. Um, you mentioned Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. We're it's seemingly round the corner now. Everything that happens after, when you come up to a new year, it all seems far away, and then you, you go January the 1st, and it's, oh my God, it's here. Yeah. That rematch is coming up. Uh, before we talk about that, Ben Davison and yeah. Tyson Fury on the topic of, of shocking splits. Um, that shocked a few people as well. Yeah. Did it shock you? Did yeah, because it it just seemed like they were so close, but it's not all what it seems. Um, social media is different to reality. Um, no, it was it was it was a bit of a shock, and it was a, from a trainer's perspective, it's not nice to see it. 
you know, um, it's not nice to see people not being used because he got a lot of credit for the the way he trained Fury and the, you know he got a lot of credit when Fury should have won that first fight. And they all said it was too soon and he needed someone with experience in the corner and he proved a lot of people wrong. Um, and I don't know what the split was. Probably about money. It's not it's not my position to say, but it's just never nice. You know, it's the fighters. There's there's a there's a great thing about Brendan Ningle talking about fighters and or trainers is that they'll use you for your knowledge and they'll abuse you. You know, and and um you know, he had that, that altercation with Nassim Hamid and and it you know i think really when you you know when you have a when you have a fight and you're able to get into their psyche and you're able to stay with them and spend time with them and understand like what makes them tick it's an emotional job and it's something that the two of you both have to be able to let go of like you know there's boxers are notorious for having a front you know putting this show on in front arm oh, you know but really when you break it down you need to show your your trainer what makes you tick how you work um, and I think Ben Davison was able to do that with, with Tyson Fury. Um, but do I think Tyson Fury wins the rematch with Andy Lee and Sugar Hill in the corner? Yeah, I do. Um, because I think he's got enough about him now and experience to know that, that you know, that um, know what to do. Uh, he sort of, he's parted ways with Peter Fury as well, which... Just he's he's parted ways with a few people, and and you know those those are two guys that that work really well for him, and um, yeah I don't really know enough about the split, but it is a surprise and it's not it's not really nice to see, um, because especially someone that took somebody from that position in his life, contemplating bo- not even boxing again life in general, to then just being like oh okay all right I don't need you now. Um, it's just not nice. Yeah, and um, as you as you quite accurately said, we don't know what's happened, and social media can be misleading. But it seems amicable to a point, at least. Um, obviously, I'm not privy to the to the details. But um, yes, so the rematch. Tyson Fury's been talking about knocking Deontay Wilder out in two rounds. Is that Tyson Fury the showman, or do you see him actually trying to do that? Um. I think it's Fury the Showman. I feel like he's, you know, he's always been a risk-averse fighter. He's always been, you know, weighed up risk versus reward. Um, when he's had to dig deep against someone like Steve Cunningham, he's dug deep and he's just marched people down and, and shown another dimension. The same thing when he got dropped against uh, Wilder in the last in the last round. He sort of bit down on his gum shield and then went straight back in. Um, and, you know, he's got the ability to do it, um, to fight, is what I'm trying to say, but I don't think he'll go out looking for a second round knockout. Um, you know, I just, I just, I know that that's, he knows that that's a risky, risky thing to, to, to meet fire with fire. And the way to beat Deontay Wilder is to frustrate him, tire him out. He's a bigger lump than, than Wilder. It's the first time Wilder's had to be punching up. Um, and that's almost like, you know, that's almost where he, he loses his power. He stands tall and he's able to punch over the top of these guys. That's where he generates his power. And if you actually watch the shot that dropped Fury is when Fury dipped underneath his jab and he met him over the top. So, um, 
do I think that that he'll do that? No, I don't think so. And I think he'll he'll box to a strategic game plan. Um, and I think with the controversy of the last fight, everyone knew that Tyson Fury should have won that fight. Um, and you know, with with that controversy, I think that um, that the judges will be much more inclined to giving him close rounds. Um, so I don't see it happening. I see a, a Fury points victory. Considering, I mean, they're two such contrasting styles, having had those 12 rounds initially, will it be Fury who you feel has the advantage going into the second fight, knowing what to expect from Wilder, or do you see Wilder having the advantage knowing what to expect from Fury? It's a good point. Um, I think Wilder will go in there with a lot more confidence that knowing what he should have done. Um, he went head hunting with a guy like Fury. He's got very good head movement and stuff, but his body's not moving. He'll probably shoot way more right hands to the body, try and stop the target from moving, and then bang, 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 come up over the top of him. Um, but saying that, I also think that Fury knows that he stunned Wilder a good few times whenever he sort of switched off. He jumped in with a one-two and, and definitely stiffened his legs a few more times. So he, they'll both have learned a lot from it. Um, and I don't really know who will have the upper hand. I just feel like in control of the distance, in control of the boxing, Fury was always in control of the pace, of the distance. And um, you, know, you can't be in a ring for somebody for 36 minutes and, and just suddenly in the 37th minute and going forward in the next fight that you're just suddenly going to be able to figure that trick out, that guy out. And, and I feel like Fury had that control initially and um, that just down to his boxing brain. Okay, well, we look forward to seeing it um, February the 22nd. Uh, I'd say you should join me, but it sounds like you're going to be very busy over the next few months. Um, Shane McGuigan, as always, real pleasure. Thanks very much for having me down to the gym today. Um, and as always, thanks very much for speaking to Boxing Social. Thank you very much, Rob. Pleasure as always.